Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. And today we've got a great interview with one of our nation's leading transit executives, Mr. Terry White, CEO and General Manager of King County Metro in Seattle, Washington, one of the nation's top 10 transit systems. I asked Terry to tell us about his life story, and he does on this podcast. He's got quite an interesting background. Um, he grew up riding transit out of necessity. He talks about what it meant to him and his life, and what it means to his community there in the Seattle area. Terry's also gonna share that story at our Think Transit conference coming up on March 21st in Fort Worth, Texas as the keynote speaker for our conference that Monday morning. I know you'll want to see him there in person as well. Terry also goes into how the um, coronavirus pandemic impacted transit and how they're coming back and the ripple effect that transit is having there in his community. I think you'll really enjoy this in-depth interview with one of our nation's leading transit executives, Terry White. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of Transit Unplugged In-Depth, the world's leading transit executive podcast. Today, I'm excited to have with us as our guest, Mr. Terry White. Terry White is CEO and General Manager of King County Metro in Seattle, Washington. Terry, thanks so much for being on the show. Paul, thanks for having me. It is absolutely a pleasure to join you. So Terry and I were recently together in person for the first time in a long time at APTA Expo. And uh, we said, we got to get you on the show. And uh, also, Terry is, uh, we're real excited. Terry's going to be the keynote speaker at this year's Trapeze Think Transit Conference uh, coming up in March in Fort Worth. And um, so we're going to talk about that some today. But first off, Terry, why don't you tell us something about yourself and how you ended up as, uh, as general manager there? You've got quite a story, my friend. Uh, yes, uh, long story. I'll make it a little bit brief uh, okay. today for us. Um, I literally grew up on transit, public transit in Seattle, uh, born and raised forever here, uh, never leaving, by the way. So I uh, love it, love it to death. Um, I grew up in a housing project with a single parent mother who had a disability and her disability did not allow her to uh, operate a motor vehicle. Uh, so subsequently, the bus was all I really knew uh, growing up, um, and it was my life to the point where I didn't see or have another option uh, that came about. So I, I literally grew up on a bus. I did not know what we did not have because that was literally how I did it. Um, so as far back as I can recall, I remember her having a stack of, of timetables uh, and she'd be trying to put together the path we were going to navigate for the day. Uh, my mother was very intent on ensuring that I had the same culture opportunities that everyone else had. Uh, so she would seek them out and she would figure out how to put together that schedule for us to go, uh, transferring and all. Um, so literally, I grew up on the bus and eventually she came to me and said, you're now at an age where I need you to figure out how to do this thing on your own because I've got to go to work and I need you to go to a school outside your district and so on. Um, and she put that to me in a way that actually scared me a little bit because I had, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, but she assured me, look, go up front, sit up front, make eye contact with operators. They'll take care of you. The system's fine. It'll work for you. Uh, and, you know, long story short, it worked. Uh, I am a lifelong writer, lover of transit. Uh, you would call me a choice writer now, but uh, my choice is to still ride 
even in the pandemic, I continued to use uh, all the mobility options that we have available to us here in the region to get to and from uh, my place of work, which is the Central Business District of Seattle. Um, but yeah, I grew up in the system. Operators used to allow me to work their signage. So now I'm dating myself in terms of age, uh, manual signage, uh, and um, they would let me keep my 20 cents. So uh, I feel like I've been employed for even longer than the uh, <laughs> year 35 years that I've been at King County. Um, but I knew then I wanted in on that opportunity for mobility. Uh, it was doing something for me in terms of I was going to school outside the district that I grew up in um, to get a better education, which afforded me the opportunity to eventually go to college. Uh, but at 10, I knew I got to figure out how to get one of these buses. I got to figure out how to operate it. Um, and that was the intent for all that came after. Uh, now, ironically, um, I've had 14 positions at King County Metro, and one of them is not bus bus operator. <laughs> Everything but a bus operator. Huh? <laughs> Yes. So uh, in the end, though, love it. Understand why mobility is a human right and a necessity uh, and the inclusion of, of the folks who we're moving, who need us the most. And having their voices in those rooms are reasons why uh, I chose that career path uh, and I continue to advocate for it um, really to this day and will continue to do so. What is it with that experience having grown up riding and everything? What does transit mean to you? I mean, to be the GM of a system now that you grew up on, what does it mean to you? I, I think, you know, the, the irony for me wanting to be a bus driver and at 10 years old, that was the dream I could have. That was what I saw and knew. I couldn't even dream of what transit could do, what mobility does for a person. Um, in the end, when we at King County, we say we want to create a welcoming community where everybody has an opportunity to thrive. Well, you don't get your opportunity to thrive without being able to move. Mm. Uh, so that's that whole mindset where I come from. All of us are in a place and we're trying to go to a place. Uh, and, and the importance of the ability to move, to get to wherever it is you're trying to go, is literally critical to that path to, to thriving. Um, that's to me, the biggest piece And most folks don't grow up in an area where they get to go to school and work and pay their bills and, 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 um, and it's all around the corner from them. Literally, you need the opportunity to get from places to places to have opportunities. I speak a place in more of just the physical movement from an address to an address. I think about it in terms of socioeconomic, uh, of mind mindsets. Uh, all of those things play into the how am I doing in life uh, and how is it working for me and am I absolutely getting my opportunity? Uh, so for me, I think of transit as the gateway. It is the place where if you can get to the thing you're thinking about, whether that's education, whether that's the job you currently have or the job you're going to apply for, whether it's the medical appointment or the groceries you need to go obtain to, to take care of your family, all of those things are, are vital to thriving. And the vehicle, uh, pun intended, is, is this process where you can get on and go. And if we can figure out how to make it easy, efficient, uh, doable, 
uh, no matter what the challenge you see on the other side, uh, then I think we're doing the thing we need to be able to do. Uh, one of the earlier jobs that I had at Metro was was a on-call telephone operator. Uh, and sitting in that position, you get to hear personally from a customer when we were able to provide them with a successful journey and when we weren't able to. Uh, and just hearing the delight in someone's voice coming across that line when they actually were going to be able to move uh, maybe late at night or weekend when they were thinking that the possibility was not going to come to fruition for them, I think is huge. Uh, and at the same time, I do recall those times where we didn't actually have the service set up and you knew that that was changing uh, someone's potential uh, outcomes uh, because they weren't going to be able to go to that school or take that job. Uh, so to me, tying those together and having a better understanding of why we do what we do and it's more than just a physical address move is extremely important. Tell us about your system some, Terry. What, what are the modes you operate? How many vehicles, employees, that kind of stuff? Pre-COVID, we moved about 500,000 riders uh, every weekday. Okay. We are the eighth largest public mobility agency in the United States. We have seven, seven operating bus bases. We have two coming online, uh, by the way, one in 2025 and one in 2027. That'll uh, begin our journey into electrification, uh, or I should say hasten our journey into electrification. So we operate bus. Uh, we also operate Sound Transit's Link Light Rail system, uh, Central Link Light Rail, and we operate uh, Sound Transit Express bus service. We operate on behalf of the city of Seattle, uh, its streetcar. We provide access, dart services, uh, water taxi services. We have the largest van pool uh, ride share service in the nation as well. Uh, really? So I didn't know that. Pretty busy out there. Yeah. Wow. That's something. And do you outsource your paratransit? We do. We do. And uh, so how has COVID impacted, you know, the system and, and how are you recovering now? Well, I think like uh, most, most folks in the nation, um, what we saw was this kind of um, a tiered, tiered approach to the, the most of us were given an opportunity to stay home, duck and cover, to cover and, and, and try to uh, make it work until we could figure out what COVID actually was and how to uh, work through it. But what we also saw at the same time was what essential means. Uh, and who had absolutely no choice but to stay in the system and continue to ride. Yeah. Uh, so we saw our services uh, drop from about 430 to 500,000 rides down to the 100,000 numbers. We suspect, and uh, I think some of the data is helping us to see that, that that number would have been even been higher ex except for layoffs and furloughs and whatnot. We thought that number might have been even closer to maybe 150,000 at the floor of folks who have absolutely no choice but to go out and figure out how to make this thing work, uh, this pandemic uh, work for us. So it told us something about um, what essential riders look like. Uh, and we also suspect that we probably could have gotten the 150 to 200,000 had we done a different or perhaps more enhanced, better job of. Uh, communicating in areas of the system where we could have done better 
to provide services. Uh, so in some areas, we have work to do. We learned that in this process. Um, but in terms of essential, and we've seen ebb and flow over this period through the pandemic where the number has jumped, doubled, uh, and then receded again as we've kind of had to deal with a new variant. Uh, so we're extremely hopeful about the future, but what we think we have learned is that you know our values are that we should be absolutely growing our system based on greatest need. Uh, so that's pockets where we haven't served well. Uh, that is addressing those uh, who have continued to use the system uh, and I think uh, King County, we, def we define greatest need as uh, BIPOC communities, uh, low and no income, uh, English as a second language, English challenged uh, proficiency wise, um, foreign born and disabled. I, I grew up in three of those, <laughs> those pockets, if you think about it. Uh, so also another reason why I think I'm drawn to the idea of we can be that opportunity uh, for, for opportunity growth, uh, for thriving. Um, and we've learned that, so we want to go deeper into those areas. We've talked about how our core values are and were prior to the pandemic, equity and sustainability, uh, addressing where needs are greatest, and safety. Uh, so none of that has changed, but those values are now paired with data that tells a story to us about why that's important. I think folks are beginning to understand that even better and why transit is an essential component to an economic development process. Uh, so for us, we're, we're leveraging what we now know, uh, continuing to build out for a future that actually continues to, to be very bright uh, as sound transit will continue to expand its uh, stretch across our region we will, as the operator of that system, continue to grow right along with it, repurposing some of our route services, uh, but really planning so that we can then uh, take some of those services and not run them in parallel, but run them in a coordinated manner, a well-organized dance uh, that allows for someone to traverse to uh, from the south part of our King County region to the north part and all points in between. The, uh, the system itself, King County Metro, um, I think a lot of folks maybe don't realize how transit systems are set up separate differently. You know, it's like Peter Rogoff said that time, if you've seen one transit system, you've seen one transit system. So, you know, transit systems in America, some of them are set up as transit authorities, right? WMATA, SEPTA, New York right. MTA. Some of them are set up as state agencies, like the one I used to be part of, MTA in Baltimore, New Jersey Transit, CT Transit in Connecticut, you know, MBTA, they're state agencies. But you're part of a county government. Tell us about that. So uh, in our past, we were actually a board-operated system back in the 90s. Uh, okay. um, so you would have elected folks come to the board, and priority would be transit only. Um, we are under the King County governance structure, which means we have partners that, that actually uh, benefit us in the sense of we can do more than just focus on physical mobility. Uh, so, so the governance structure that has us, there are other departments, there's Department of Health, Technology, yeah, right. um, all the different uh, components, uh, natural health, uh, local, local services, and all come together and work together. Uh, we have a county council uh, that is elected, and they represent the various districts uh, and the communities that, that they serve. Uh, so it's this integration component that comes together 
to discuss transit as well as health, as well as all the other things. Um, so we're, I think, benefiting from being cognizant of all the other components. And I think that fits with the, the mindset of it is more than just a physical journey on a mobility with the mobility agency. Uh, we are literally trying to move folks who have been, as uh, described nationally, non-destinational riders uh, to a destination. A destination that is more than just uh, a meal and a, a shelter. Some, something that actually helps with the medical side, uh, whether it's mental or physical challenges, uh, but that begins to address that whole, the wholeness of opportunity to thrive. Uh, so I think we benefit in that way. And in some other ways, we spend a lot of time working to make sure that folks who haven't grown up in transit uh, become more educated in the understanding of what it takes to be a, a transit agency as well. So there's some give and take with that, but it is a very different structure. And I, I know I spend a lot of time with my friends across the nation explaining what the differences are when you come out to the King County region. And how, how are you all handling fares? Are you, um, are you one of the ones going fare free after COVID or what's your story there? We initially uh, stopped collecting fares uh, and that was early on. We were doing some work to get some shields in place for our operators. Right. Uh, so backdoor boarding uh, precluded taking fares. Um, we did um, reestablish bringing, uh, we are collecting fares now, but we are not in the process of reestablishing our fare enforcement components to the system. Uh, so somewhat of an honor system from our uh, customers, our riders. But what we are doing is leveraging the use of our uh, security folks to just ensure that folks are riding and following all the ride right rules, masking up, doing the things that we need to do to make sure we're keeping the system as healthy and as safe as possible. Uh, so yeah, we're back to collecting fares, but okay. um, there's work to be done there. I just read, I think, in Mass Transit Magazine today, you had a couple stories in there actually online about your county executive it gave a safe perform report or something like that, kind of tying in what you just mentioned. Yes, uh, I think we're very proud of the way we've worked to improve our engagement with community. Um, in our in our previous life, I think we were all the, you know, the transit level folks. Some of us coming from uh, directly from colleges, planners and schedulers and. We would love to come out to you and show you all of our intellect and this is what we're going to do and it's going to be great and you're going to love it. And what we've begun to understand is, you know, true engagement is, is maybe sharing our data, but also engaging with communities on what it is they want and need from us and then working together in this more of a co-creation way. Uh, safe reform is just an extension of co-creation. It is us saying to the communities that use our systems and us saying to our employees who are in the system, what should we be doing uh, differently to make you feel and be safer than you were before? So instead of us just going out and say, we're going to do this thing and you're going to love it and we're, we're the experts uh, and it's all going to work for you. We've literally said, let's take a step back and begin to talk about this with folks who are experiencing the system on a regular basis and get to that place. Now, that doesn't uh, preclude us from doing some of the work up front where we're, we heard presence is extremely important. Uh, we're in the process of hiring 50 additional uh, security officers. We're asking our transit police folks 
to ride the system as they're uh, patrolling it, securing it, uh, so that we've increased presence. We expect to do even more of that. Uh, while we do this work in this safe reform space uh, with community and with our frontline employees' voices in rooms uh, to get us to whatever the next place is. I think we're really excited about the idea of uh, co-creation, and we're really big on that level of engagement, uh, whether that's planning out the system, growing it, and all. Hey, you're as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're going to be coming to uh, our Think Transit conference this year. Uh, yeah. down in Fort Worth. And on Monday, the 21st, you're our keynote speaker. Uh, and the theme of this year's conference is Ripple Effect, uh, touching on the role of public transit in the larger community. And you've kind of touched on this, but is there anything else you want to share about public transit's role or place overall in a community? Yeah. I, I, I'm, And I got to say, there's two reasons why I'm excited about coming and joining you all. Uh, the first is I'm a lifelong Dallas Cowboy fan. So Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll try to explain later why okay. how that, <laughs> it makes no sense. Uh, but the second is the ripple effect and the effect it caused, the cause effect of what transit and mobility does for all of us. And I think, yeah, I've lived it. So I, 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 Oprah Winfrey used to say this thing about everyone has a story if you're willing to take the time to listen to it. Sometimes we have to move bodies from their place to their place, we don't always have the time to stop and say, why are you moving? Or why is it you need transit or what have you? But I guarantee you that they all have stories. And, and when we make a difference, we make a difference that has a big effect. That's the ripple to me is this, this moment of, if you take me for an example, low, no income, kid of color, single parent mom, the only way I'm going to get to move is through a bus system. And I got a mother who figures out that, you know, if I can figure out how to get him to go to this school over here that's outside our district, I think they pay better over there or something, or they're paying better attention in terms of how they teach and educate. Uh, So if I can figure out how to get him over there, uh, then he's going to benefit from that, which then means our family benefits long-term. So without me ever knowing uh, that that's what this is all about from her mindset. I'm just doing what I'm told. I begin to learn later. Oh, so that potentially helped me to get to the short-term job that I had, which helped me to potentially get to the long-term education that I got, which then allowed me to return and begin to change the, the economic stature of my family. Now, look at that and multiply that out for all the folks out there. Yeah, uh, tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Yep. And we say opportunity to thrive. The ripple effect that comes through mobility is just life-changing. And when you do get to stop and occasionally hear the story from really anyone who rides, you start to get the whole, if not for this, I don't get to have and my kids don't get to have, and my kids' kids don't get to have. Uh, so I am literally, my grandmother was raised by her grandparents who were freed slaves. Mm. So when you look at the time frame for what mobility opportunity can do for you. Within a so couple generations. That's it. Yeah. That's, it. that's Amazing. how powerful uh, it can be for all of us. 
And it's there for us to see. And sometimes that's why I talk about the whole engagement component. When you reach out and, and ask, what do you think? What are your opinions? Uh, whether that's about safety or that's just about uh, planning the system in terms of how we're going to grow it or restructure it, you get the opportunity to actually hear from folks who say, if you do it this way, then you're going to open up the coffers for this community to do things differently than they have. And when you build for those who are who have been silenced and marginalized, I think the ripple effect is, is even larger in the sense that when they rise, we all do. Uh, and we all absolutely do benefit from that. So I think it's just exciting to, to see the possibility for what a small change in thought or system uh, structure, uh, the, the outcome from that can be generational and it can be immediately changing in terms of hope even. Uh, so that goes from the minute ripple of, hey, the bus actually goes where I needed to go to I get to do a thing, take a job, um, go to a school, and the career for me and those who I take care of and love are going to um, forever be changed for the better. So final couple questions. Um, one is on technology. You know, um, what is the role now? I mean, I remember when I got to Baltimore about five years ago, I used to say, man, our technology stuck in the 80s. You know, everything was just, you know, we had radio signals, not GPS, that kind of stuff. What's now in the 2020s? What do you see as the role of technology in helping to deliver how King County Metro provides mobility? I think the pandemic has, has pulled the covers back on several things, including technology. And we're in a tech-rich area in King County. Yeah, that's right. You've got Microsoft uh, however, and everything out there. And However, we weren't always the most flexible and quickest at adopting and moving forward. I think we're having to be more forward-thinking. We can't afford to be in a situation where a pandemic-type situation catches us unaware again. Uh, but now we need to be thinking about the here and now, but also the future of how folks move and how we leverage that. Uh, so that's tech for sure, and how we leverage um, what we didn't know before, how do we use our data to, to get ourselves up to speed? How do we use technology to help our employees work easier, more efficiently? Uh, and how do we then transfer that to our customers so that uh, fast, frequent, all day is also easy? Uh, so you, you don't have to think about a lot. You go out and it begins to work for you. So I think that becomes the, we have to learn how as transit agencies, and I think nationally we have to do that, is begin to push yourselves uh, to, while you're dealing with here and now, you also have to deal with mid and future, and we have to do it better, and we have to be preparing ourselves for those journeys. So sometimes that's process, it starts with a thought. The thought of um, running your coaches endlessly without putting them in layover spaces um, and coordinating better with your first and last mile um, components so that it feels and is more seamless than it ever was before is going to require you to use technology that some of us are kind of going, eh, I don't want to do that. Uh, it's a great idea, but maybe you should do that after I uh, retire or what have you. No, we need to look at it and do it now uh, and be prepared. And I think that, again, goes back to the thing I keep harping on, which is this engagement component. If you can think of it and someone says, why can't you just make this easier for me? 
Mm. then there's a nexus for us to then go into that area and say, why can't we? And in a lot of ways, there's tech that says you can, and we just have to figure out how to do it. So there are, I mean, there's just a, a whole, there are lots of areas where tech begins to address the question that folks have right now about what mobility, um, what's, what's holding back our ability to make it easier to use. Uh, and we just need the rooms now to begin to go there. Um, so what, do our control centers need to be better equipped uh, to do work in the sense of fast, frequent, reliable? How do we keep a bus moving, um, but also honor that uh, operator needs a break and a lunch, guaranteed? So how do we wait ensure we have operators who literally will get to the end of the line and have to make a decision? And I don't always think they make the best decision when they go right back out because they know they have customers waiting for them uh, at the expense of taking that moment of time to relieve themselves, to get back uh, their energy levels. And I think it's upon us to leverage technology in ways we never did before to give them that. But how do we tie all those things together and how do we continue to push ourselves? Paul, as you mentioned, this across the nation, we struggle with this mindset of, yeah, but we've mastered the thing we know right now uh, and per- perhaps we're slightly fearful of the future, uh, but I-, I-, I like to talk to our folks and say, isn't the flat screen television a lot better than that big box that you used to have? We're not going to give you a thing that makes it harder for you to do your work. Right. We are trying to literally invest in making it easier for all folks. Uh, and I think that's a part of that quality of work-life balance as well. Uh, if we're honoring that mindset, then we're actually going to create this win-win-win. Good for the employee, good for the writer, good for the organization, and great place then for us all to come and work, uh, knowing that we're providing a service to these communities. Great segue to the last question. You mentioned the future several times in your response. What does the future hold for King County Metro in the next you know, one to five years? What's your game plan? What big capital projects, other than the two garages you've mentioned, uh, do you have coming up for everyone? Uh, so, so yeah, the two garages are kind of our big push to go to uh, 2035 and get to clean, efficient uh, electric energy 100% across our fleet. We're also doing some work in that area um, with our um, non-revenue fleets and our smaller fleets. So access, we're, we're going to step out into those areas as well to try and okay. push to get to that place and space. As a part of our growth and change and evolution, we want to engage better than we have. Uh, We think we're doing a great job. We want to make sure that those voices that I mentioned earlier are absolutely in our rooms and having those discussions with us as well. Uh, But there are are concepts that we're always uh, trying to work through as well. Um, How do we use technology in rural areas versus urban areas? Um, where the need is slightly different. So transit on demand might be the thing that we figure out how to do with smaller vehicles that still tie into some of the fixed services better. How do we create the dance that as, um, and I I know Peter has said this, Peter Rogoff has said to me, uh, and I agree, people don't care um, what, what part of the mode they're in. They want the modes to work well for them so that they don't have a breakdown anywhere in the system. So how do we build that out uh, with our partners as well so that these modes absolutely do communicate better and more efficiently so no one does get left? So along this journey, I think 
there are certain concepts. One of mine is, is, is that I'm very fond of is this mindset of we keep the buses moving uh, and we take our operators and give them the guaranteed breaks and lunches. So we create spaces that are just really valuing them uh, that they can uh, rest, turn the lights off, eat, turn on a gaming control, whatever, what, what is it they would love to have in the space that shows them honor. Uh, and then another operator leaves that space, gets on the coach and keeps it moving. Uh, and we go to a thing that I think tech is pushing us towards anyway, when we talk about frequent, reliable all day. Train systems run on more headway than they do on on time. Uh, hopefully I'm not just, you know, uh, disposing some type of a, a, a thing out there. Uh, but as the operator of Sound Transit Central Light, Link Light Rail, it's not always on time. But when we keep that headway going, that's no what matters calls to the customer. That's no right. Calls us. If we can duplicate that mindset in the rest of the system, frequency is your friend. Uh, but marry that to the, and you're not exhausting your employees at the same time. Now, right. what technology is out there that helps us to go to that place? That's where we need to step in. Uh, some exist already. Uh, and we need to go ahead and begin to move in terms of more like an, our research and development type of mindset uh, for our futures. Uh, but in other areas, we're all, we're all pushing and we should never rest. Uh, so another thought I have is the we're trying to figure out how to remove paying cash, which slows the system down, and yes. take it out. Uh, yes. So there are a lot of folks out there who are beginning to look at how you do that. And then this is that, and we can't leave folks behind. So from where I come from, when you talk about unbanked communities, how do you make it work for them? If you make it work for them, it will work for everyone else. And, and guess what? Folks who have low and no income, IPOC communities, they want technology as well. They love it. Uh, and we should be not shying away from it. We should be leaning in to trying to figuring out how to unstick that piece. Uh, because I think the benefit for all is that frequent, reliable, not having to think about when the next thing is coming around the corner for you uh, works works to all of our benefits. And the more we pro prove that for those who have the greatest need, then the more our, us choice riders will go, well, you know, that thing seems to be working a little better than if I try to navigate it myself. It's like my buddy Kevin Quinn said, your neighbor to the north at TransLink, he told me last month. I was interviewing him for something and he said, frequency equals freedom. And I like that one. I've been using that. That's exactly. A good one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. Thanks, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> hey, Terry White, thanks so much for being with us. And thank you for uh, being our keynote speaker just in a few weeks, March 21st, down there in Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you so much for being a leader in our industry, someone who cares and understands the role of public transit and the ripple effect it has in our communities. Well, thank you for having me today, Paul. I'm absolutely looking forward to joining you all in, in the great state of Texas. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth and to our guest, my neighbor to the South, Terry White of King County Metro. I personally can't wait for his keynote at Think Transit next month if this episode is any indication his keynote is just going to blow you away. Now, next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, Paul is talking with Norma Noor of Express Rail Link in Malaysia about that country's rail transportation network. If you have questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, 
email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.